Uh, I thought that crazy stats comparing high school graduation rates through time. Mm. And, I mean, I was thinking that this went back farther. Like, you know, like more than 100 years? or Well, I was thinking like that the... When did we reach the modern age of education as like thinking that every kid's probably going and every kid should be graduating if they don't graduate, it's like a problem? That article that we'll link in the show notes actually brings up when like it was it's it's the last 15 years that uh the change has been away from focusing on child development and more towards college preparatory uh as the end goal this was like in 1970 it yeah. said so i was like the year i was born of people 25 and under so it wasn't even like going back with 25 and under 55 percent graduation rate in the United States. Of From high school? school? Mm-hmm. Wow. What year is this? 1970? Yeah. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode number 23 of The Middlemen, a weekly podcast focused on education issues, specifically from the perspective of male middle school teachers. I am your slightly above average host, Brian Brown, with my two colleagues. Brad Curry. And Derek Bullington. All right. With our combined 63 years of classroom teaching experience, our opinion is no more important than yours. We just happen to have a microphone and are very interested in talking about these things. So last week, we talked a little bit about special education. By the way, side note, uh, Eric, our interviewee, Teacher of the Year. You sent me that text, right? Teacher of the Year. Nice. Which means I think that's his second go around because I think he got it at our site too. You know, when he got when they announced that, it was a pretty like riotous eruption of applause. And yeah. It was like, hell yeah, that yeah. guy. Oh, that guy is phenomenal. That's great to hear. Yeah. He yeah. is really good. So nice. So this week, what we want to actually talk about is the history of education. We um, we don't want to really just recap or like repeat like a history class, a bunch of dates and things that had happened, although some of that might happen. But instead, we've done a little bit of research on major changes that ha- have happened over the last hundred years. And then more specifically, some major changes and things that have happened over the last 15 years. So we're not quite sure exactly what direction we're going to go and which ones we're going to talk about, but we hope that it becomes uh, insightful and interesting to you, our dear listeners, to you. So anyway, we're going to get started. Uh, Derek, you want to get us going? Yeah, so we'll start off with kind of a general overview of what's been happening in education in the last 100 years or so. Um in about 1910, 25% of American children were attending school. So um, there was a lot of people out in the fields working and living 25 were lives. not attending school. S- sorry, 25% not <laughs> attending school. Not attending school. Not attending school. But that's also like post, as we talked about in a previous week, post Horace Mann. And actually, if you, there's a book that I'm suggesting, I'm throwing this out there, I'm jumping in, sorry, called The Teacher Wars by Dana Goldstein. I just got my hands on it. The very first chapter is about man and a lady named Beecher and the start of compulsory education. It's, I'm already liking the first chapter. But anyway, go ahead. 25 were not attending school. Which actually, that's like they'd made it up to 75% of kids in school. Right. That Because that's, going back just a little bit further, it was pretty stark. Like, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. You don't go, it doesn't take too long to go back and realize most kids were not attending and school. And we're talking elementary school. We're not and, talking high school. And we are talking elementary school. And we're also talking about um, kids attending. When we say attending school, we're talking about 12 weeks a year. We're talking about six weeks. It's it's twelve or twenty four weeks a year. It's six or twelve weeks in one season, and six or twelve weeks in the other. 
that's all they were going. The ones that were going were not going year-round. They were not going along with our current structure of time. They were going outside of the working hours needed for the field and the family, right? And this so, was mainly up through sixth grade usually, right? It was absolutely yeah. up through sixth grade. It was, it was, the intent was basic arithmetic, basic understanding of stuff. Yeah, Check just learning in, really how to read and write. Like in 1910, only 14% of Americans age 25 and older had completed high school. So wow. in 1910, 14% of people were graduating. 110 years ago. Right. That's crazy. That is crazy. So the big challenge is that, yeah, there's people, a lot of those kids were working, working in fields or even in factories, mining. And so there was a big challenge in saying, hey, we need to get these kids out of there and get them into schools and give them a little bit better opportunity instead of having them working um, at a young age. So um, that was a big push. And interestingly enough, um, there's several states now kind of rolling that back and saying we don't have enough workers. And so let's roll back some of those protections that we've had for kids for many, many years. Um, I remember just reading recently Sarah Huckabee Sanders was very proud of her um, new law she passed allowing for kids who are younger to work longer and um, and different opportunities for those children to, to get out and work. So To not job. only work longer hours, but work longer hours on school days. Yeah, in more dangerous in situations. In more dangerous too, situations. So. Yeah, there's actually 10 states in the last couple of years that have either proposed or passed laws um, getting kids to work more in some way or another. I like this thing here, how it said in 1916, there were federal standards for a maximum number of hours a kid could work. And then they tried to ban interstate trade of goods made by kids. But then the Supreme Court smacked that down in 1918 <laughs> to said, no. like, no, we're selling children's yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. They're like, these kids made this. We don't want it to sit on the shelf. Like, yeah, sure. Sure. The Keating Owens Act. They need yeah. to be proud yeah. of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Someone made you that. made this blanket with your own two tiny hands. It must have been a different world. In, your in, own two tiny crippled hands. <laughs> yeah, are you we still fighting this? that battle with a lot of stuff that we ship here that's made by kids <laughs> in other countries, God, right? That is dark. That's true, though. That yeah. is true. Yeah. Mrs. Yeah, we took it. We took it out of the hands of our kids, and we put it in the hands of other. Yeah, those other kids. They're, yeah. they're yeah. not as important. The ones we don't have to talk about. That's a whole other right. <laughs> That's a completely different conversation. So in 1918, that was when Mississippi was the final state to mandate that kids go to school. Mm-hmm. So, so it's at that point every kid is mandated, and again, it's only elementary education. Mm-hmm. I right. think at this point, yep. right? Just going back to your point, Derek. One of the things I looked up in preparation was, um, in uh, let me look at my notes here. Since 2022, there's been a 37% increase in the violation of child labor laws. But since 2015, that increase is 283% violations of getting children to work when they shouldn't be. So, you know, big business corporations are always looking to get the cheapest labor possible, right? And it's going to be the 13-year-old or the 14-year-old who... I mean, these kids are like skinning cows and stuff or... Just as a cynic, is that... Has anything changed in their policing of that? That is a great question. Have they tried to look for instances to try to find it out? Or is it, are kids working more? Brad, numbers don't lie. Okay. I'm just kidding. If you don't test anybody for COVID, nobody's got it. (laughs) That's right. That's right. If you don't test for COVID, you're not sick with COVID. That's the way that it's supposed to work. That's That's my new theory about it, too. That's Uh, When I'm sick, I'm like, why take that test? What good is it going to be? It's that twain quote, right? There are lies, there are damn lies, and then there are statistics. Yes. Right? I tell it to my kids all the time. You can make a statistic say anything that you want. So, yeah. So, one of the big changes was compulsory education eventually kind of being fulfilled, if you will, in 1918 with Mississippi. Um, 
Way to get on board, Mississippi. And yeah. they've been excelling in education ever since. Ever so, since. Nice job. I believe they broke the top 50 recently. Okay. <laughs> That's great. It was great. I'm so proud of them. Once we hit the 50th state, they're like, yeah, we're at 50. We're at 50. We passed Puerto Rico. Good job. No, yeah. I don't know. But anyway, uh, what's the other thing, Derek? Last 100 years. We'll just deal with these two. Um, so then um, in the ni- 1946 is when an, a school lunch program they brought out because they're realizing there's still lots of kids not coming to school, staying home, and not getting on board. And so they said, hey, there's all these poor people who are super broke and their kids are starving. I know we can do. Let's give them some food and they'll show up to school. Yeah. And so they started a school lunch program, um, which has continued on since then, expanded in various ways. Um, so a way to get the family is like, hey, if you send your kid to school, you know, we'll give them some lunch and so they won't be hungry all day long, which what, is great. What do you guys think about the change in the last couple of years where now it's every student gets lunch at school? So since COVID yeah. happened, there's been this change in California, at least. I know other states, but I don't know exactly how it's come about. But it used to be where you had to apply for like a reduced or a free, free lunch. Reduced, and yeah. so people who are under a certain poverty line got a discounted lunch. And what's happened in the last couple of years since COVID and brought us all back to school is that in California, at least, they've made it where everyone gets a free lunch regardless. And so I, I, I like the idea of having lunch for kids who need it. Um, I don't like I don't like just carte blanche of giving them all food. And the main reason is because I've sat out at those lunch tables. And just this past week, they asked me to cover lunch. And I was like, sure, I'll go out there. There's a requirement in California that, and I don't know if it's through, I don't know how it came about through the farmers or what, but they the lunch people have to give them like a little tray and all the food, like food groups or something. Like so they give them like and the main vegetable and thing. They give them some kind of fruit or vegetable and they give them a milk. With a hot pocket. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. And if they don't, <laughs> the kids don't want any of it, it doesn't matter. They have to take that stuff. And so literally, the kids walk out the door. There's a big garbage can right outside the door. And I watched many, many, many kids come right out the door. They take like the hot dog, the hot pocket, whatever it is, out of the tray. The other things just go straight in the garbage, like yep. sealed up. And I was standing there, and I hadn't been out there for a little while to see the lunch, how it worked like that. But I was really shocked. And I know in the past we've had like a share box thing, like, hey, put your banana in this thing so someone else might want it, you know? Um, yeah. But that wasn't out there. And I know there's like a, with COVID, there's like all the non-sharing and all that. But I was really shocked how much food went directly into the garbage. And I was standing there taking stuff out. I'm like, hey, put that banana on the table. Somebody might want that. Get that milk out of there. They had these little cups of some kind of salad with broccoli and craisins or whatever it tasted really good i kept pulling all those out and set it yep. on the table so thinking somebody might want them broccoli salad but yeah i felt i couldn't believe how much was going straight into the trash it's changed the lump lunch dynamic a lot at our it school has. too not only like the waste but when they ring the bell for lunch it used to be like kids would go out a lot of them straight to basketball courts some right. go eat their lunch on the table some go to buy their lunch or get right. it for free and now it is like running of the bulls through the halls because yeah. every kid's getting lunch. Every kid's so lined up. And some stuff runs line. out. If you're at the end of the line, yep. you're going to get your lunch with like minimal time to play. Right. And so it's just huge. Like, yeah, they've had to hire change. more people. Like, yeah, every kid. Like, we never had our kids get hot lunch before because it was always not something they wanted. Yep. And we made, they made, the, my kids made their lunches, my older kids forever. But now my seventh grader, like, he's like, I'll just get hot lunch. I'm like, really? You like it? He's like, yeah, I'll eat that every day. It's great. I don't need to make I'm, lunch. I'm, I'm, I'm good with it. So there's a couple of things going on in my head. The first one is, you know, even though the lunch is available, uh, you know, prior to it being available to everybody, it was available to people under the poverty line. Not everybody applied for it. Or you could buy it. Or you could buy it. Or you could buy it. Right. Right. But 
but for those who needed it or whatever, where it was going to be given away, like you still had to apply for it. And so there were probably still kids not eating, right? The second thing is, and this is just my own personal experience, I was on that program growing up. My, uh, my mom did not make a lot of money, and so I got a free breakfast and a free lunch through most of my elementary school. Um, middle school, I think I made my food, but uh, elementary school I did. And I remember walking in one day, the lunch lady uh, told me that I didn't have any money on my account and walked me into the back room to give me the thing to give to my mom. Un- just, just her and I full on just shamed and embarrassed me about getting lunch and breakfast for free. That's and, funny. And I, I have like a similar story. And then I left and I was like, it it, it really, it bothers me even to this so day. So you're saying like that the volume, if everybody's getting lunch, kids that are getting it for free, they would need to get it for free, won't feel singled out? There's nothing singling right. them yeah, out. there's no they're, more they're part like of everything. free lunch, like no one's going to see that happening. But do you think this is also like messing up their, like if everybody's getting lunch, then it might take the kids that, like need to get the lunch reduced like it's kind of diluting it's taking them forever to get their lunch like when maybe before i don't think so i mean it's time the issue when you're eating first but yeah you get your food but at our school i know they all they've really made made it work really well that the kids get their food they get plenty of time you know before lunch is even half over they've locked closed everyone up and it's all done so yeah i know today the lady saw me out there teaching pe like during the first lunch and she's like hey do you want to a grilled cheese sandwich and tomato soup. We got we got a new vendor and it's like homemade bread from a bakery. It's really good. And I was like, yeah, sure. And she gave it to me and I was out there, you know, the kids are running and I was like, and it was really good actually. I was, was like, this is really good. I drank the soup. It was really great. So, uh, but yeah, I remember I had a story like that too. I remember being in, living in Utah and I don't know w- what exactly our situation was, but we, we had little, the teacher had little tickets and she had this like folder and she would open it up every day and give everybody their ticket if they bought their lunch or they had like the reduced lunch. Mm-hmm. And we we were always broke. And there was times where I don't know I know exactly you know how if we bought the tickets or but there's times where I did not have a lunch. And she would pull the thing out and I'd be standing there like hoping to get a ticket. And she'd be like, "Sorry, there's no food for you. you don't have, your parents didn't pay for one, so you're not eating today." And I would just sit there and be like, oh. And then we'd all have to go to the lunch tables and I would just sit there with no food and like hungry. Yeah. And it sucked and I hated it. And so I do like the fact that these kids do have that opportunity because I know there's plenty of kids out there going through that. I just hate that so much of it is going right in the garbage. I 100% agree. And I don't know what the battle is to like stop that. A big part of it would be to not let them make them take the stuff they don't want. Right. They should be able to say, I just want that hot dog. I don't want those things. I'm not going to drink the milk. But somehow take it like we're going to cart this to a shelter or something like yeah or just like put i know there's kids who will eat more of other things like if you have a spot like you don't want it set it over here on this table and then anybody who wants an extra milk or whatever can have it but um or something but yeah it just goes directly in the garbage i hate that but yeah i'm glad the kids have food and they can eat and i don't know that it's necessarily the school's place to provide food for people um but i also think if you're mandating that people have to be at school for eight hours a day that I don't see a problem with saying, well, if you have to be here, we'll provide a lunch for you. Um, I don't think that's really a big issue. Well, that's another conversation, too, is the idea of school. We talked about this briefly in a former podcast about school replacing parents, the um, in parentis. Loco parentis. Lo- and loco yeah. parentis <laughs> idea that we had discussed. But but the idea of school lunches really actually speaks to a broader theme that's happened over the last hundred years about trying to make school more and more accessible to everybody. Um, and more universal. So it wasn't just like, 
I mean, at that time, it was certainly get every kid in with Mississippi finally doing it. And then with this time, it was let's get the poor kids in. But then later on, we get, you know, other rulings that desegregate things. We get other rulings that open up funding like Title I for low-income students, Title IX for, you know, uh, funding not being based in sex discrimination. Um, it's, it's a pretty interesting pathway that seemed like it was always headed the same direction, but it seemed like it incrementally it was like, it's, this is for everybody, but not quite everybody. Right. Yeah, we yeah. mean this, but we don't mean that. Right. It was kind of like we were talking about the, the corporal punishment, you know, mm-hmm. thing, but how they seem to have good intentions, but then they like, but we didn't mean for those people. Right. right. So as over time, you know, then it, yeah. if it's those people keep getting included. Right, and eventually yeah. it's like, okay, then girls. But then the girls aren't getting the same curriculum. Right. You know, right. in the, the research, it was girls are getting taught a different type of education. They're not getting the STEM and the science. You know, they didn't have science, but the STEM stuff. I thought it was interesting also, looking back, the some of the earliest ideas for mandating education, besides creating a like civic-minded society with morals and these other, like high lofty goals. It was also a cost benefit thing. Sure. Like we're gonna pay yeah. for prisons or we're gonna pay for schools if we don't give people, mm-hmm. you know, tools yeah. to provide for themselves. It's kind of the same thing today. You know, where they're still right. they're having the same decisions like fund our schools or you buy more jails. You know, it's the yeah. So there's definitely thing. a big correlation with that. Where people who are educated and have the ability to like make a living for themselves or not, if they've gotten a good education, as opposed to spending far more for them per year to go to jail as an individual, you know, you could spend a lot less to educate them and give them some tools to be successful in it's the like world. 150 years ago, it was the same. So that's the that's the problem analysis. too. Is you you have all of these groups rightfully, by the way, so everybody hears me correctly, being included and in take being taken care of, which rightfully needs to happen, but the funding is not increasing with that. I mean, let's look at uh, 1975 was when free and appropriate education was extended to students with disabilities. Students with disabilities have special needs. Special needs require special equipment, special teachers, special focus. And yet the funding does not match, as Derek had spoken about last week, what those individual students need. It's a carte blanche blanket amount of money for every kid that does not fund every kid. And that's what education has continued to be. Every year, there's somebody who wants to add something new to it and say, now you have to do this as a school. Now mm-hmm. you have to do this. Like with the, even with the free lunch, now everyone's going to eat for free. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to teach this group and make sure they have this, And but we're not giving you anything extra to do, do that with. So And it just keeps happening where every year they're trying to pile more and more stuff onto our schools and our teachers and not providing the resources uh, to do those things. And so then... We're like, okay, so something's gonna has to go. If we can't make this work, we're gonna have to short shift something else, and that's what ends up happening was, a lot. I was in the district office for the conversation about cursive handwriting being in elementary school that just got passed, and we <laughs> talked about previously. It's like, Brad, you bring it up all the time. You put something else on the plate of what needs to be taught. Something has to be removed. We already have more than we can get through in a given year. Yeah, with literally every subject except maybe PE. I think you can throw the balls enough and be okay. Dude, I got to throw it a lot. But <laughs> Those extreme sports, you got to fit in. The yeah, that's right. true. It's very true. Like, that's true. I don't know any teacher, including myself, when I was teaching like a, a subject that had requirements, 
um, that I ever got through the curriculum. I never in science got through my nine, ten months of curriculum ever. I never made it to like the end of the book. Right. And I would say that's probably true for everybody. Like no matter what subject, you never have enough days in the year to actually cover what is expected to be covered. And then to say, oh, by the way, not only are you covering this, we're going to throw in these other things too. So make sure your community celebrations this month are on point. I thought it was pretty interesting, like community celebrations and like celebrating all the different groups of people. And like in the early 20th century, just waves of immigrants coming in. And the research I was reading was talking about how schools functioned as kind of like an Americanizing factor of mm-hmm. teaching kids to read yeah, English. Yeah, like a simulation. And there were benefits to assimilating people, but then also their culture was not being necessarily like fosters, like change last name, you know, kind of drop your cultural heritage a little bit become you know quote-unquote american mm-hmm. and then the also like a lot of people that were coming at that time period were catholic and the protestant majority of the united states was pushing that you know kind mm-hmm. of agenda too so that's i guess where some of the large number of catholic schools were coming in was people wanting to retain that without uh this is what i was reading the research here that's kind of where the schools catholic schools were coming in was as so they can hang on to that part of their of uh, culture. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. So I'm looking up uh, in that book. I happen to have it in front of me. One of the things that's really interesting in chapter one is the idea of uh, a lady named Beecher, who was the daughter of a well-known minister who worked with, um, who ended up working with Horace Mann to start this education thing and, um, you know, this sort of universal education thing. And, one of the things we often wondered about was, and maybe this is one of our future ones we might need to change, but originally teachers were men in single room schoolhouses and college educated, but Beecher kind of pushed it to include more women because they were not working and they were cheaper. Oh, yeah. Right? You didn't have to pay them quite as much. That's but true. also, that's the best part about women. Is that they're Just cheaper? Just kidding. Yeah. They, um, well, they are, though. <laughs> I mean, if you, not trying to be rude, they, they still get paid less than us on a you know, unless you're on like a salary scale like we are in the corporate world, they're still getting paid less than us. Um, but Beecher saw them as as missionaries. Like that's oh, the right. way like she saw that job, like, position. And she would yeah. send women out into the frontier to start schools um, as missionary, kind of as missionaries. Like yeah. even her, 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 her push for them was if there's not a Sunday school, you need to start that Sunday school also. So right. anyway, that's a little bit of a, of a of an aside, but the idea of money not going towards education or being that uh, fundamental priority is long and historic. Yeah, and just in California too, we've just added basically universal preschool to all of our public school system. So what was kindergarten and then became transitional kindergarten, now next year will officially be what's basically would be preschool as opposed to like a transitional kindergarten because four-year-olds can come in. Mm-hmm. And so now that big setup is in most, most schools, elementary schools, they have kindergarten classrooms, but they're not necessarily equipped for preschool classrooms where maybe they need bathrooms in the classroom and mm-hmm. things like that. And now kids will be coming to school who maybe aren't potty trained, which I heard that's not even a word you're supposed to use anymore because I heard that too, but I don't it's know negative because we don't train people, but Oh, we train animals, but that's not true at all. Someone was telling me this recently. I'm like, people get trained all the time. I go to trainings. <laughs> athletes keen. train. Hey, I go to do. trainings all the time. So now they're calling it toileting. So whoever came up with that. Toileting. So whoever came up with that, <laughs> nice it's really stupid. No I don't even want, want to tell you that. what I call toileting. Yeah, but toileting. <laughs> so anyways. You, so now we have this, this preschool program that 
the schools need to have funded and you know that's an entire new grade and new specialty that a lot of teachers will need to embark on so that's just another one of these programs it's a massive program that they've just thrust onto our schools but they have not put enough resources to have to figure out how to make work how to find the staff and how to get the facilities up to date so they can accommodate these little people you know i never had thought this through until reading some of this stuff how uh just the nature of the United States with states' rights, federalism, and like that has made us so much different than a lot of other countries in their educational system. Like we have a teaching credential that will work in California. Right. right. And if you want to go to another state, maybe there's a few that have some reciprocity. But yeah. most places, you're going to have to get recertified, right? California has, has like, a California credential gets you almost into I anywhere, think California, from what I understand. New York credentials but are good. But not coming the other places. direction. Though. Not yeah. coming the other direction. Now, no. if you come from Arkansas with your credential, we, we might need to see a little more. And every state's yeah. got their own standards. And every state, yeah. you know, and every state has their own Well, Common Core gives us all a common standard. At least it's supposed to, except for, like, Texas and the other ones who didn't adopt that. But I that's understand a, what you're that's saying. That's a fairly new thing, though. And, like, requirements, like, the whole – our whole education system is based on states making choices about right. their own yeah. direction. Right. Which creates, like, a whole prism of what is education in the United States, right, versus a different a different country that's got a unified national system of – because we yeah. always try to compare ourselves to other countries, but that's pretty hard when you've got – right. 50 different versions of our education yeah, system. Yeah, basically 50 little countries trying That's to right. make their own rules. Right, doing their and own And that was thing. one of the things like in these last 15 years is that with Common Core, the goal was to kind of standardize across the nation what we can expect a student to learn. So it wouldn't matter what state they came from. If they had a high school diploma, you would know that they had this basic level of education right. regardless of where they're from. Right. And, you know, there was a lot of politics about that and pushback and Whatever, I don't know. Well, that, like that was a bunch of governors that got together that really put that together. You know, so it wasn't like it was the federal government necessarily putting a common core together. It needed the federal government to fund it in order for it to happen, but it was it was states putting that idea together. It seems like a good idea um, you know, to know that if you're a college or an employer or whatever, that regardless of where someone came from, that they're gonna have this base level education going into the world. Um, right. it doesn't seem like it's a lot to ask, but right. schools are was. making a lot of their local decisions here. It looks like right here there's 50 state systems, 13,598 school districts, and 98,000 public schools in our country. Wow. And 47% of the revenue comes from the state level to pay for schools. So I'm sorry, 40, what was that number of public schools you said? 98,000. Yeah, that's what I thought because I was just looking at some of this where it said like the number of charter schools had increased by like a million or something. <laughs> No, no, no. Charter school attendance. Oh, Kids. that's Charter what school was. attendance okay, has I increased actual schools that over opened. 15 years from about okay, 500,000 to 3, 3 million kids. So oh, yeah. 47% of the money's coming from uh, state level, 45% from local, and only about 8% of funding for schools comes from the federal level. Mm. Yeah. So places are putting up the money for their schools. They're going to make their own decisions in a lot of cases, right? Right, they, right. Right, yeah, and that's when you see like studies come out or you know surveys, and everyone's patting themselves on the back, like we're the best school district in the nation. I think the one that recently came out this year said the top ten school districts in the nation, and I think like eight of them were from Silicon Valley, like Palo Alto and yeah, all that area the down peninsula. there. And you're like, I wonder what those guys are doing down there that's making those schools so great. Like, why are those teachers? Where did they go to school that made them so great? It's amazing. Right. 
Right. Whereas then the schools in, in other places that are doing so poorly tend to be in areas that are very poor and low wealth areas. Well, we had the so less on. investment in the by the local community. Not, I mean, not people investment necessarily, but, but financial investment is limited, right? Right, yeah, exactly. And it's like, yeah, when you have your family, if only one person has to work, you can stay home. Right. People who value education or their students are going to do better. Um, when people, you know, I, I would say some of the best, hardest working teachers are definitely in those schools that are struggling in low income areas. Those teachers are, you know, putting in back breaking work, trying to, you know, fight this uphill battle a lot of times. Right. That people in other communities necessarily uphill battle, don't. uphill societal battle, yeah. really more than just. Well, that that push to nationalize, like in 1983, had the uh, the No Child Left Behind got started, mm-hmm. and with that, there was it seemed like my memory of teaching under that was a lot of punitive measures, mm-hmm. like trying to put schools on academic probation or the, yeah, if they didn't meet whatever yeah, and they had that minimal standards as the 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 deal was the tests were supposed to incrementally increase every single year, right? Which it didn't really make sense. Like eventually you just top, you top out, out and everybody yeah, would be perfect, it. right? Yeah. And they had that hockey stick graph mm-hmm. chart of it just like rocketing up. Mm-hmm. And eventually most schools got under that and then they got put in program improvement. We, Our yeah. schools were doing great, tremendous compared to schools that were like similar demographics and everything that you'd compare like with the data. But yet we were not whatever. And sometimes, you know, those, this is maybe getting in the weeds, but when they do the the numbers testing, when they say like how a school is performing, they had something like a significant population, they call it, which means like a hundred students or more. Right, right. So if you're looking at SPED or English language learners or whatever different group that you're analyzing and you say you're, that group's not performing and you have a significant population, that means you have 100 or more students that meet that criteria. Mm-hmm. A school across town could be getting less than you, but if they only have 68 of those kids right. instead of your 102, it doesn't count. They don't report that. Yeah. Whereas you show up and it's like, oh, look at this school. But yeah, it's really terrible. just all like, All numbers no, get fudged. They all get fudged. All those well, yeah, and then there, yeah. Was, there was some states started implementing like, financial rewards for teachers and saying hey if you're meeting these standards you'll get like a ten thousand dollar bonus and all of a sudden all these kids started like excelling <laughs> and teachers are getting these bonuses and then you're like oh we hear all these cheating things going yeah, on it's like, that was georgia like wasn't that georgia i don't know what i think it was i know georgia. it happened in a couple of places where yeah. it's like they were changing answers for the yeah, kids yeah right if you're telling me that my mortgage payment is based on whether or not little billy here decides to study <laughs> right and do his homework or take the test seriously i might be a little more inclined to 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 fudge some answers too if for i need sure. to pay my bills because this guy doesn't care for sure brad you said in our intro about uh graduation weights can you what was that again yeah so we talked earlier about how few kids were going to elementary school and high school in the early 1900s so i was looking at some data and it showed uh high school graduation rates over time and i just looked at the year i was born in 1970 and it had uh, these are people adults that are 25 and younger so it's not like this is going back to the 40s or something. This is adults that are 25 and younger. In 1970, only 55% of them graduated high school. Hmm. I was like, wow. Because and the numbers now... Like, yeah, we got them right here. So the numbers now, in 2010, we had 79% graduation rate. 
And in 2017, we had an 85% graduation and rate. And that's nationwide. That's nationwide. That's, that always surprises me because I feel like when I was in high school and I graduated in 93, I know the dude who didn't graduate. Like I can, I know his name. I can like that's and I, maybe there was more than that. And I'd like you know several hundred people in my class. Yeah, finishing. But I remember when we were all lining up to go walk out there, and he was standing off to the side, like cool guy, like oh I didn't finish, I'm not walking or whatever. And like we all knew, like oh you didn't graduate, you didn't meet. The, but I'm I'm surprised that those numbers like aren't you know closer to ninety nine percent. But I'm sure those other kids I just didn't know who. It's probably regional too. Yeah, who probably dropped out. You know. Yeah, I mean it's and, a, like you said, it's an it's an average of. Yeah. Of the whole thing. But my my problem with that number is it sounds better than it I think it is. And right. I mean it's great that kids graduate from high school. Don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to say that. What I am trying to say is that um lots of the uh lots of the benchmarks have changed. Well right? there was in California I don't know, maybe like a decade ago, there was like the high school exit exam, right? Yep. And they said, all right, you got high school students, you take this test or you don't get your diploma. How long did that last for? One year? Right. They gave it to a class and they're like, Jesus, we're going to be retaining half this class. <laughs> like, right. they're all going to come back next year. We're going to need a whole nother school to like school all these kids who just failed. Right. Yeah. And so then they graduate. said, just kidding, you all graduate. Well, and that's the thing. The thing is that... I would argue over the last 15 years, or I don't know, pick any amount of time, we're not lowering the ceiling, but we're raising the floor. So a lot of kids are graduating, but they're not necessarily graduating because they're high achieving or even achieving at at an average standard. They're, the, the floor has been raised to the point where they're now able to graduate doing the things that kids in the past would have failed high school for. Right. Well, just on a real uh, factual level, the like the Lexile level of the textbooks and the expected reading that the kids are doing. If you see those like studies of what for sure old books had a much higher, much more challenging for sure level. I'm I had a huge debate with um, people. We'll just say people back in the day. This was you know probably six, seven, eight years ago where we were reading the Hunger Games in eighth grade, and I looked it up and it was a sixth grade reading level. And I'm an eighth grade teacher. And I'm like, why are we reading this book? It's a sixth grade reading level. And the response I was given was it had adult themes. Like I, I said, I can find an eighth grade reading level that has adult themes in it. Like that doesn't really make any sense to me. Why are we having eighth graders read a sixth grade book? You know, and that has always been a problem for me is, is having things that the reading level does not match the level that they're supposed to be at. And I know they're going to struggle with it, but... Damn it, they're supposed to struggle with it. That's Isn't the point that of like, growing and learning. Struggle. Like magazines and uh, I think like newspapers are written like at a sixth grade level. Like that's definitely a know. middle school level. I, I, feel th- like I heard, heard it was eighth grade many but yeah. times. I don't know if that's really true. I think part of that, like with reading too, I, I, it depends on like what the point of the reading the book is. But if you're reading, like if a book is easier to read, you're going to be more likely to read it and maybe get more out of it and enjoy it more than if you're struggling through it. But and you can have deeper conversations and like, I, yeah, I understand all of that, but we can't say that. I, I just don't think that we can say that we are pushing kids to excel when we're giving them stuff like that. And yeah. like I said, when we're raising the floor of graduation, so like, it's almost, it's almost impossible to fall through your floor. Just as a side note, like in your own home, you're probably not going to fall through the floor unless something really dramatic happens. And in the same sense, I think there are kids that are just not going to fail unless something really dramatic happens, if that makes sense. If they just like go through like like your buddy there that you were telling about before, mm-hmm. maybe he graduates from high school if he graduated now. Yeah. Right? If he was taking classes now, maybe he graduates. 
I mean, there's like a lot of extenuating circumstances. For like sure. Kids are going through a lot of things that make put life on the back burner. And like, right, right. Now with we got technology taking over. If kid has like marginal living and no Wi-Fi, and the teacher's like, "Well, just do it on the yeah Aries or canvas." You should get and it on it, canvas like, and do yeah, it. do all the stuff. Like if they're not like like you're saying with the food thing, they're not wanting to say like, "Dude, yeah. I don't have a computer in my house. I'm living." in a car when I'm at my mom's or whatever the case yeah. is that could be challenging too that puts another wrinkle in that access that reminds me of a time when I was in elementary school and we had a a project which was to bring in a news article every Friday on some topic that was assigned and I didn't get the newspaper I couldn't I couldn't do it like I don't know how to get a newspaper. I'm not going to buy. I do. You go to the paper stand, and when yes, some dude buys one, you grab. I was too. in fourth grade. Back off. <laughs> okay, I just just relax. But I I didn't you know I didn't know how to go about doing it, and I wasn't going to put that effort into it. But it's the same kind of idea. Kids who don't have access to stuff, look everything absolutely help them in every possible way that you can. But I just I don't know the the, the trend of of I'm just going to keep using my phrase raising the floor. It's just, I don't know if that's helping kids. Yeah. Newspapers so. are free at donut shops, too, I've noticed, just in case you can find another fourth grader who needs them. Well, they used to be. I don't know if people yeah, actually no read newspapers, newspapers anymore. anymore. Anyone, I, I don't I, know if people actually read newspapers now that I think I don't know if they, they used I, to be. I read the newspaper every morning online. I yeah, I look right. online yeah. every morning. But I don't, yeah, I even know the last time I saw a newspaper. Actually, my father-in-law reads the newspaper daily, and he still gets it actually delivered to his house. So when I go there... Sometimes I pick it up into a crossword puzzle. <laughs> that works. Yeah, I finally gave up that on works. that. I was reading the Brentwood Press when they used to deliver oh, yeah. it to my house, sure. and then I don't get it at my house anymore, so now I don't read it anymore. Oh, yeah, no, I read that online. No more siren sounds. I pay sounds. 10 bucks a year to get what it was online. That? No more siren sounds. No more siren right. sounds. No. Yeah. Uh, there was a guy who, uh, you know, when the paper was like a big thing, that would drive up and down my grandparents' street collecting the newspapers, like the old ones, and I, I, t- I don't know what he was doing with them, maybe recycling them or something but i oh that could... guy had used to make giant paper mache dolls really yeah okay so anyway <laughs> he he had this like recording that you could hear going down the street i, I remember it would go paper drive three o'clock set your papers on the walk paper drive that's paper drive. random like he that and that was when you did it so i don't know if anyone else remembers that but i do i remember when i was a boy scout i feel like for a minute that was something we did was like collect old newspapers Maybe there was some. Maybe it gave you something. Maybe there was some uh, need for that. I don't know. Who knows? Hey, let's move on to one more thing. They slept under them too. I remember. Let's move on to one last (laughs) thing for the last fifteen years. One more change, and then I think we hit we hit our listeners' listening limit. (laughs) 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 We don't want to get too far. They're like those those dudes' floors. What what stands out to you guys from our? Yeah, (laughs) the floor is can't we? We're raising the floor. Uh, what what stands out to you of another change in the last 15 years? I think the college thing is interesting. I don't know if you think the college thing is interesting. I think yeah, there's it, been it, a drop-off in college enrollment um, in the last decade. Yeah. I mean, you see it's a change of like 3 million kids over seven years. But that doesn't surprise me a lot. College is ridiculously expensive, and I don't know. I was like 30 when I finished paying off my student loans, and I went to like Sac State and University of San Francisco for my – but. It, is crazy I, it took expensive. me a long time to pay them off, like, and that was a long time ago. Like now, who knows? It'd probably take me, you know, until I'm a million. There's this, all these, there's all these Tiki Talk videos of like people saying, "If I had to do it over again, I wouldn't go to college." Say yeah, Tiki Talk. I said that's what, Tiki Talk. I meant Tiki Talk. That's what things are trying to do with like one of the stipulations of like the recent loan forgiveness program was like if you've been paying your loan on time for 30 years, 
we're going to forgive it for you. Like, if you've been paying a loan for 30 years and you still haven't gotten over the hump of the principal getting it paid off, like, that's insane. That is insane. That is insane. It's just insane that this is, like, the only real country in the world that's westernized that doesn't provide an education, you know, for our students. Don't get me started on the, the forgiveness thing. Every time I get one, see one of those things, like Marcy, my wife, she's got student loans, and every one of those things, if you make X amount of money, you don't qualify. In California, you make X amount of money, you're still not killing still not the world. It, right? but still you're just getting by. There's still forgiveness programs. They're, it's it. If you, you work in a Title One school, though, ah, it's it's a, a mess. I like the other one here on the same topic. Uh, lower teacher salaries down four point five percent over the last decade. Yeah, yeah. I it, compared to inflation, down four and a half percent. Twenty one percent less than similarly educated professionals. Yeah, there's like uh, think it over, people, before you. Yeah, yeah, seriously, yes. before you make that decision, just know you're going to be living in a van down by the river. Um, the uh, what was it? What was it? It was like twenty something states, thirty something states. The teacher starting salary is under forty thousand a year. Like I don't know. You only work three months a year. <laughs> Shut up. Nine Stop months complaining. a year. You barely work at all. You don't even work. That's. I can't argue with that. That's true. Right, yeah, I, I know. Mean, that's fair. But yeah. yeah, I think that's an interesting stat too, that the salary continues to drop. And and co- couple that with the, the increase that you had mentioned earlier, Derek, with charter schools. Why are charter schools on the increase? Because charter schools don't have teachers unions and you can pay teachers less and expect more of them. And charter schools, that's part which have it. been increasing enrollment, also can decide who comes to their school. That's right. When you have a charter school, you can have, let's say, higher test scores, which they don't necessarily have. That's not an accurate statement that they like to make. But if you're able to say, we're not taking any students with disabilities, we're not taking any students that have behavior issues because we don't want to. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, so our school, look how much better our school performs than the, the local public school. And that's a private school thing, too. they're able to choose who comes to their school. And that's right. not that's not how it works, you know. Right. Unless you work at, like, my wife's charter school that she's at. Um, a lot of the kids that show up there um, do have like 504 and IEP needs and like they embrace them and really are trying to serve that population because the public school is just not, they just need more specialized help, which is great. But you're right. You get to limit who comes just like private schools get to limit who comes, which is yeah. why your numbers look so good. Um, and, you know, there's an interesting uh, story that I'll bring up another time. Uh, called the blueberry story or something like that that someone said i don't worry about it i don't know how i found it but um if you end up looking something up like that it's the story of a of a business guy saying it's a saying that he knew how to fix public schools and this is how you should do it and a teacher got up and gave an analogy about a blueberry or some sort of fruit um or whatever it's very interesting i'll, I'll share it with you guys you later. think i wish i had some anecdotal article i'd read about this but those kids the the kids that were mandated to go like in 1918 do you think they're like this is my chance at education or they're like jesus christ why me why the first time in history they're forcing anyone right. to go yeah or they're right. like finally i get off that farm i can like leave I for bet. a couple I weeks think, i wonder what the i don't know i always like i'm still in school so i feel like i you know we we like it probably more than some people but i would think as a kid i feel like cool i finally get to go be around other kids which if it's rural there probably weren't a lot of kids around other than your family who had 10 kids and half of them died for the fever or something. So, yep. but yeah, it would probably be cool if you could go and see like some other people your age and like have time to hang out and meet them. And like, you're like, Hey, I can read now. When I see a sign, I can actually read it. And you'd probably be pretty proud of that and go home and be like, Hey grandpa, I can read that thing on the tractor. 
it says don't touch it that's why you got three fingers grandpa yeah but I, I think <laughs> I, I think maybe my impression would be that the kids just wouldn't know what to expect uh, there's this great quote in the Truman show uh, when Kristoff um, is being asked about why Truman has never questioned like where he's living and Kristoff's quote is something to the effect of uh, we accept the reality with which we are presented so I'm wondering like kids who are born and raised on the farm and that's kind of all they know and then you throw them into another environment okay like I don't know if they would have really any feelings about that since they just don't know what to expect there that makes sense but there was probably like a crossover generation or something yeah. like the parents hadn't experienced it and now the majority of the kids had yeah yeah wonder what happened and maybe the parents that. wanted it for their kids like they who knows probably did i would hope i would think so yeah I think so too. but yeah all right guys hey that was a good conversation that was very uh easy and flowing um do, certainly appreciate every week that we get together to talk for those of you that are listening thank you for taking the time uh, we appreciate your listening. If you are interested in following us on social media, we are posting stuff on Instagram on the daily. So at MidmenPod. Feel free to email us as well, uh, MidmenPod at gmail.com. And we have not been asking this, but I think it's time that we start. Uh, if, you, if you like what we're doing, share it with someone. Um, if you like what we're doing, follow us, uh, subscribe to our podcast. Uh, help us kind of spread the word and get it out there. We would really appreciate that. We're doing it because we love it. Um, I mean, none of us are getting rich ever because <laughs> we are teachers, but we, you know, just but enjoy we, doing we it. We want to thank all of our sponsors and the money that's been flowing in. It's been a nice we do, we do. Cushion. Right, right. Um, the dry erase board, those guys have been really good to us. Yeah. And, uh, for getting that. And the Jolly Rancher those. people. Bevmo, but, thank you. And, Ven- yeah. and, Ven- and, Ven- and Venmo. Bevmo, so, Bevmo. Oh, Bevmo, Bevmo yes. And yes. Bevmo. Bevmo has been a, well, a godsend. All right, guys, have a great one. Bye. Bye-bye.